Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. On today's show, we have some exciting news. Uh, over the past couple weeks, minor league players have, or minor league baseball players, I should specify, have formed a union for the first time in the history of minor league baseball. Major league baseball players have long been covered by a union since uh, the 60s. And We've discussed at length on this show the, you know, issues they've had in collective bargaining agreements with Major League Baseball. But this is the first time that minor league baseball players will be able to undergo that process. Um, This is a pretty significant thing that has happened in what feels like pretty quick fashion just the past week. Obviously, we aren't um, privy to the behind the scenes efforts and organization that went into making this happen, but felt like it came out of nowhere that, oh, they have majority support for this union and MLB is going to recognize it. So first of all, technically speaking, they did not form a union. They were added to the bargaining unit of the Major League Baseball uh, Players Association, which is an important distinction because one of the biggest things about unionizing the minors, which, you know, was a pretty popular slogan for a few years there. Um, one of the most important things was if they were, if they were unionized on their own, the question was, would Rob Manfred and his pack of jackals uh, at Major League Baseball, would they be able to drive a wedge between major and minor leaguers if they had to negotiate with them separately? Could they ping pong them off of each other? But that concern is no longer there because major and minor league players are now part of one bargaining unit. Second of all, so I, I'm no more privy to the process of this than you are, but I do know that thanks to two major organizations, Advocates for Minor Leaguers, uh, which was the staff there was mostly former minor leaguers. They actually have now all resigned to become part of MLBPA staff and the organization More Than Baseball, which focuses on basically getting minor leaguers opportunities after their career in baseball is over, you know, kind of showing that just because you didn't make it in an MLB, just because you didn't get to the show, or even if you did and and didn't stay, doesn't mean that your life is over. There are other opportunities. There are things you can do to, to make sure the rest of your life, you know, will be, will be more comfortable than it would be otherwise. And both of them have done a lot of great work advocating for this kind of thing with minor leaguers they are mostly managed by and um, administered by minor leaguers, former minor league baseball players. In the case of advocates, in the case of in the case of more than baseball, Simon Rosenblum, Rosenblum Larson was, I think, cut by the Rays earlier this season over the summer. He was in the Rays organization. So you you've had a lot of work going into this, and when it was announced that this was going to happen. People were surprisingly optimistic. I, I like you, thought, you know, there's no way they're going to get majority support, but why would they file if they weren't going to get majority support? And they had the union cards, and then the real surprising bit was Manfred saying that they would just recognize the union, that they weren't going to push back, they wouldn't force an election, they would much rather just get on with the negotiating process, which, you know, when Rob Manfred says something is fine, that's a problem, but there must have been an overwhelming majority of support to, to get him to knuckle under that fast. Yeah. And we can get into more of the ramifications of MLB's recognition of the union and what this unionization will mean for players uh, going forward. But I I do think it's worth um, sort of laying out the reasons why minor league baseball players were in the position they were in where unionization was such a necessity, really. Uh, 
I, I believe this is a subject we've touched on in past episodes when talking about baseball. You know, we've tried to talk about the players who are outside of the spotlight and not receiving, you know, Bryce Harper money, not receiving the big bucks that many people associate with professional sports. But uh, for many decades now, minor league baseball players have been effectively living off of sub-living wages. Famously, even at the AAA level in Rochester, salaries for minor league baseball players are only in the order of ten dollars to $12,000 a year, roughly, um, which is absurd. You know, the idea that they are part of this business that is at the top end making tens of billions of dollars, and they themselves are you know, having to take up second jobs in the off season in order to make ends meet. Um, it, it's kind of wild that it w- wasn't getting much focus until these last few years, really. Well, I mean, we've seen that across all industries where when we started this show, uh, to the best of my knowledge, we were really the only people talking about unionization efforts and how they were still very much so underground. But in the past couple of years with Starbucks unionizing and and all the energy behind that and everything like that, um, honestly, it was in Manfred and and MLB's best interest to try to at least appear to negotiate in good faith by accepting the union then and there. Um, They're going into playoffs soon. So having any kind of negative... Uh, light on the league when this is the time when they make the most money in in terms of broadcasting and everything like that. Um, If they went into the playoffs with any kind of labor dispute on the table, that's all anybody would talk about. And they couldn't then say or do anything but negotiate at that point. Not really that. But they don't want to look like Howard Schultz. They don't want to look like Starbucks or, or Trader Joe's or any of these other uh, union-busting dirtbag jerk faces that that are always in the news. On the other hand, it would be very funny if the last two labor disputes in baseball history both killed the World Series. <laughs> that would have been such a good bet. That would and, and a, a great bet. way for Rod Manfred to truly... Uh, Truly set his legacy in stone as Bud Selig's handpicked successor as commissioner. As good a joke as that would be, yes. On the other hand, um, I will, and me, this is the strange part, I will be willing to give up a good joke if it means that we can unionize some more people. Oh, yeah, same. Uh, Also, I would like to note, I I actually am not sure if we were the first ones, but whether we were or not, we... I, I do like the idea of picking a fight with tipping pitches uh, over who first came up with the idea of unionizing the binders because we don't even sell T-shirts. So to be fair, there's actually, uh, I should mention there, the proceeds from those shirts, which are very popular, um, went to more than baseball. Um, so it's always been a, a real big link there. The The thing about those conditions, right, with minor league baseball. So that's basically been a thing since the minor league baseball has been restructured a number of times, most recently a couple of years ago when a fourth of the teams in the minors were just decimated, I guess coordinated, but we're not really here for that discussion. The, it went from 160 to 120 teams. A number of those teams are now in collegiate leagues, which if you want to talk, are it's kind of its own thing in terms of labor abuses, because you don't, even get paid for playing in those but on the other hand they do the teams do tend to be made up of rich white college kids who can afford to take a summer off to go play baseball on the cape or whatever and then you've got the independent league some some teams ended up there some independent teams joined the minors it was a whole thing but basically ever since organized baseball has been a thing ever since professional baseball has been a thing the minor leagues have always been the absolute hellhole that they are now that has not changed at all um even before the modern farm system and all of that came into being and the idea of you know we know from other industries that having a union is only the first step but there's a difference between a starbucks local that's got 12 people in it trying to negotiate with howard schultz and another when it's 
thousands of baseball players now who are presumably all somewhat united in purpose and who have access to high-powered lawyers and a high-powered executive staff and all of these people who you know can actually spend time on dealing with this one person um, and his staff. This is an entirely different situation from what most people encounter. And given what the what life as a minor leaguer was like beforehand, I mean, it really is the least that we, I mean, we didn't do anything, but it's the least that could happen for them to have the option to negotiate for a first contract that would be fairer to them. I mean, we all saw, you know, this lockout that happened now, which wasn't even that bad by the standards of baseball labor disputes still meant a rush schedule with tons of few, uh, with m- many fewer days off for most teams, still meant compressed injury timelines, still meant that players who were injured during the lockout didn't get to use team facilities, so if they didn't have their own rehab trainers, they were screwed, and still meant that the league made out like bandits, and the deal was only marginally favorable to players in a lot of ways. That's all true. I think it's interesting, though, that the players' union did decide to advocate for minor leaguers because traditionally throughout all of baseball history up until this year, basically, it has never been in the interest or um, they have the major leaguers have never even advocated for the minor leaguers. The minor leaguers have always been used as a uh, tool to prop up major league. So MLB will negotiate by uh, to make major league prospects better by making minor league prospects worse. Second thing is like up until this lockout, major league players and players unions deliberately negotiated on behalf of minor leaguers, which was brand new. You know, they they were uh, working on service time and things like that. Things that that until this year, basically. Um, major league and or the the players union and major league baseball hadn't seen as anything worth talking about and they were if anything trying to go out of their way to make things worse for minor leaguers so i it's really cool like if anything the 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 thing that changed was the players union and that's awesome that's that's the coolest part right there Every time we've talked about sports unions and, and sports labor on this podcast, I've mentioned that, you know, it, it's very hard as regular old workers to get told that Max Scherzer is the labor hero I should be looking up to because, again, the man, you know, makes tons of money and lives in a big house and all that stuff. But I will say that this is one where they absolutely did the right thing. I mean, the eight players on the executive committee of the MLBPA actually – told the the whole body, the voting body, that they thought they could get an even better deal. Um, and that got voted down. The only teams that voted against it were people who had representatives on that committee. But the fact that they said, you know, we're going to keep fighting for this. We, we think we can push harder and, and get more. And some of the stuff that they were arguing for was more stuff for minor leaguers, which it's worth pointing out. Um, I had to step away for a second there, so I'm not sure if, if this was mentioned. That was stuff that MOB could have challenged. They could have said, we are at an impasse and stop negotiations and unilaterally impose their last offer because they could say minor leaguers are not within the bargaining unit. You can't bargain on their behalf. So again, no credit to Rob Manfred. He deserves none. But the fact that the players kept fighting for that and would have kept fighting for that even at the risk of possibly getting the league to calm down on them like a ton of bricks deserves a lot of credit. They fought very hard for these minor leaguers. And I know that during the year, that was an important part of their advocacy as well to mention Scherzer again, when he was, uh, when he was in Binghamton, not too far away from here, uh, doing a rehab assignment, you know, he made a point of taking really good care of the players there. And that's something that you almost never hear about. You do hear about it as a tradition, but he went out of his way to create what may well be the next generation of MLBPA leadership. I mean, any player who was in that room when they saw the steak and lobster being brought out or when they saw, you know, their free AirPods in their lockers, they're thinking, at least some of them are thinking, man, I can pay this forward one day. If I make it to the show, this is something I can do for some guys down the road, and and they'll appreciate that just as much. So 
I mean, good on him for doing that. That it's it's things like that. I think that more than anything help reproduce that ethic. I think it's worth shedding light on some of the um, conditions that minor leaguers were dealing with and still are dealing with, uh, you know, and until they reach some sort of collective bargaining agreement with major league baseball, you know, a lot of these issues will continue to persist, but um, there's an article from 2014 written by Dirk Hayhurst who uh, made brief appearances in the major leagues for San Diego and Toronto. Um, He wrote, piece in Bleacher Report detailing uh, some of the conditions that um, you know he experienced in his minor league career. Um, uh, just quoting from the article, in low A ball, I lived without a refrigerator. I had a styrofoam cooler in which I put milk and bread with ice I took from hotels. I didn't have any means by which to cook raw food, no range, not even a microwave. I lived entirely off of peanut butter and jelly simply because it wouldn't spoil and it's what I could afford. Um, continuing, you know, in spring training, you were only given $120 per week in meal money, no paycheck. That $120 was gone in three nights at a sit down restaurant, or you could stretch it by eating fatty fast food all week, you know, and he talks about something that we've talked about in the past on the show, the sort of dichotomy between the budget these players are made to live off of, and then the nutritional requirements they are expected to abide by as professional athletes, as, you know, members of a baseball organization that ostensibly wants them to be the best athletes they can be. Um, It's, it's kind of staggering that they were enduring this for as long as they did to some extent. I mean, Dirk talks about, I don't have the article right in front of me, but he talks about how the attitude of other players at the time, and that article came out in 2014. Um, All of it is still 100% relevant, and the attitude that major league players have, um, people who even suffered the system were advocates for it because they won. They made it to the major leagues, and even the ones that make it there briefly by and large, you know, because there's that huge gap between minor league wages and conditions and major league wages and conditions, that carrot is enough that it kept people in line and supporting this system for years. Yeah. And in the article, Hayhurst has he reprints a conversation from his book Out of My League, which is about his appearances in the majors. And he mentions talking to another Padres relief pitcher whom he codenames Bentley. And he says, I mean, this offseason I was working at a television store and now I'm sipping a mixed drink from the top of a five-star hotel overlooking the major league field I play on. I can't believe this is actually happening. He goes on, maybe I'm wrong for thinking this, but it makes me wonder why there is such a huge gap between the guys up here and the guys in the minors. I mean, if you just spread out the smallest portion of all this to the guys below, it would make their lives so much easier, don't you think? That's a terrible idea, said Bentley. Why do you say that? There is so much here. Because it's meant to be this way. It's a grind for a reason. The guys who can't take it don't deserve to be up here. Besides, the union fights for us to have all this. There have been guys up here who went through hell to make it like it is. It's not just for anybody. And, I mean, that that tells you why it took so long for the union to, frankly, get itself together on these things. Because you did have a ton of players for whom making it to the show was an opportunity to kick the ladder away from the players who were struggling. And, frankly... I mean, I'm always up for saying that there's a lack of vision in certain projects. And one way that you see that is this dichotomy between Major and Minor League Baseball. When Major League Baseball cut those 40 teams, they deny, there are entire states, I believe now, who don't have professional baseball teams. They have amateur baseball. They have collegiate baseball. And maybe in some cases, they'll have independent teams, which I guess is sort of semi-pro. But they no longer have a Major League or Minor League team. That happened, and that happened because we treat the minors as though they are entirely stops on the way to the show. That's all we do. Whereas the fact is, and I know that there are 
you know, other reasons for this that have nothing to do with with um uh with just the the abuses of minor leaguers, but the fact is that there's no reason why every town in America can't have a baseball team of some sort and you can't go and enjoy the game. The reason why it doesn't happen is because Major League Baseball treats these teams as entirely ancillary. Uh, you know, here in Rochester, we're lucky to have the Red Wings who are independently owned, and so they have a little bit more uh, weight to throw around than a lot of other teams that are bought out and owned entirely by the teams that uh, they're affiliates of. But uh, even then, they're you know, I don't I don't think a Red Wing is making a ton more money than I don't know a Syracuse Met or a Buffalo Bison or any of those. Uh, it, they, they're all in the same situation, and there's really no reason for that to happen. Not when even a triple A or double A team is making its owners, whoever they happen to be, a ton of money. Hey, here's talks about how at the triple A level, he was living on an air mattress on the floor of a Portland apartment because he had less service time than the guys who got to sleep in the actual beds. Um, and we talked about the sort of dichotomy between major leaguers and minor leaguers at play, but he also notes the that... You know, despite all he's describing here, he counts himself among the lucky ones because he's a white male born in the U.S. And there are so many minor leaguers who are coming from other countries and coming from conditions significantly worse off than his that, you know, don't have the support systems he was able to fall back on, you know, families in this country and, you know, some sort of middle class upbringing that is able to get him through these hard years making twelve thousand dollars a year and living off peanut butter and jelly you know for a lot of players there is not that cushion and like the difference between you know making it to the major leagues and not is the difference between a life of poverty and not it's um yeah it's and and it's that division and that language barrier that has sometimes posed an obstacle to solidarity among minor league baseball players and even at the major league level i'm sure there are a lot of different experiences that come to ba- the world of baseball and some of them are unfortunately uh, encapsulated in that uh, anecdote about bentley the player who is all too happy to see the minor leaguers struggle because that's the point of it all i guess I think it's cool that as a country or society, whatever, we're we're far less enamored as a whole with suffering as a way forward. We don't think it purifies our soul quite as much anymore. I mean, some do, but those people are messed up. Yeah, because Hayhurst does say this, and, and this kind of bothered me that he felt the need to include this paragraph because I don't think it's his fault. But he says in the middle of it... Um, First of all, he says, it's not baseball's fault. Minor leaguers are plagued by groupthink to the point they won't help themselves. No, it is baseball's fault. That is the whole point of MLB. That is why the structure is the way that it is. It's not the fans' fault either. Yes, it is. Fans <laughs> love to crap on players for you know not making enough, uh, not being good enough to get to the show and so on. Like This is a constant thing now on social media, people thinking that they can hit a baseball uh, or that you know they could score a point on Serena Williams or whatever. And then it says, it's not society's fault for unwittingly agreeing that poor treatment and low wages are worth it for chances at fame dip jobs. America has been duped by that one for ages. It is 100% society's fault for agreeing to that. Like, you have just named everyone whose fault it is. It is, it, you literally could not have nailed it more. And then you're absolving all of these people when these are all the people who made the problem happen in the first place. His uh, thesis here is actually, what if we don't live in a society and society doesn't <laughs> have any power? That's right. Sometimes when you choose to run the bases backwards, everybody loses their minds. <laughs> uh, this misstep aside, I do think it's a useful article for sort of shedding light on you know, his experiences and you know some sort of insight into the mindset of people going through it because um, there are a lot of players who are less generous in their thinking than I think uh, Hayhurst is in this article. Um, Absolutely. I, 
like I said, I don't think it's his fault that he needed to include that. I think he felt the need to include that so he wouldn't get yelled at. Uh, I'm struck here in his description of, you know, how people are willing to suffer through poor wages and poor conditions on the off chance of attaining fame down the line. Um, I'm reminded of a bit in Sarah Jaffe's book, Work Won't Love You Back, which, of course, has been a favorite of this show for quite some time. Um, You know, she describes this whole category of work as um, hope labor, I, I think is the term she uses in I don't know if it's her term exclusively or something she borrowed from another writer, but, um, you know, this includes stuff like internships and, you know, unpaid internships where people are performing labor for much less than that labor is worth in the hopes that one day it will pay off in the form of a job that is much more comfortable. Um, You know, so this is not a practice that is unique to minor league baseball or sports or even, you know, fields where you can attain celebrity, but it's also something that we see in fields that like at the end of the day, you might just become, I don't know, a journalist or a professor, you know, you're expected to sort of uh, uh, grind to use hustle or Bentley's term in order to make it to comfort. You're expected to go through suffering before you can get to, not quite heaven, but something approaching decency. Heaven and decency. That the the gulf there is vast. Not anymore, it ain't. I don't know if you've been paying attention recently. At this point, we should take a break here. But when we come back, we're we'll talk a bit more about what this new unionization will mean for minor leaguers going forward, and what sort of changes we might be able to hope for coming from it. We'll be back. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Play ball! And Lou. Hey, guys. Uh, We talked in the first segment about the conditions that have been facing minor league baseball players uh, over the past several decades, if we're being honest, but which have sort of come to the fore in the last couple weeks now with news that those baseball players will be unionizing under the MOBPA for the first time. Even in that last segment, which uh, went on a bit longer than our usual first segments, we weren't able to get into some of the issues that they face. Uh, We talked about the low pay, but something that really came to the public attention within the last couple of years is the housing situation that these players are living in. As uh, American cities, you know, the types of cities that are big enough to have AAA teams, especially, um, have seen housing costs balloon in recent years. that has made it much harder for minor leaguers to make it on their meager salaries. Um, And in last October, major league baseball finally relented by saying that uh, minor league players would be given housing stipends by their major league clubs. No longer would they have to shoulder the burden of housing costs on their own. Um, Now, even within that decision, you know, that ostensibly a, major league deciding to make things better for minor leaguers. There were issues. Um, there's an ESPN article from January uh, pointing out that to some extent, this uh, housing stipend program was an opportunity for MOB teams to actually cut costs rather than, you know, provide proper housing. Quoting from the article, uh, concerns include teams being able to put two players in a bedroom, a lack of specific accommodations for players with spouses and children, and teams being allowed to use hotel rooms and host families rather than standard apartments and homes. This is something where uh, advocates for minor leaguers was releasing a statement, you know, sort of calling out these issues within the new agreement. Um, But I would also note um, here that... Having host families is something that is common in uh, women's soccer, the NWSL. That's something I've heard about happening a lot 
with players in those markets as well. Uh, at any rate, this was a big concern in recent years and part of the buildup towards unionization. There's got to be, as good as it is that the MLBPA and MLB have come to some kind of agreement uh, as far as representation, you have to figure also that that Manfred or um, anybody else in the the league offices has a plan in mind for how they can use this to further reduce either the size of minor leagues or uh, reduce the number of players that they're carrying in general. Um, Cause that's what they did two years ago when they reduced the sizes. Um, I think part of the, the fuel behind that was people starting to take serious the complaints of minor leaguers who were getting less pay or, or subminimum wage pay um, and they said, okay, well, we're going to cut some teams and then there's going to be more money to spread around. Not that they actually did that, but that was in response to people saying there's a problem in these leagues. That was explicitly one of the reasons why they did it. Well, not explicitly, but in the sense that, you know, they never released a statement saying, you want to pay minor leaguers better? Fine. You'll have 75% as many, you know, but they did, um, Several people involved with that process mentioned the possibility or the the need for minor league salaries to be increased and things like that as a reason why they had to look at all options, including reduction, which is the only one they ever looked at. And with these housing agreements, you know, it's interesting because when minor leaguers for various teams, I remember this, pardon me, this might just be a function of who I follow on social media. But it was a lot of Guardians minor leaguers primarily were posting about how great their accommodations were and how awesome it was that Cleveland was, you know, taking care of all of its players and all this stuff. And they were posting pictures of the apartments and all the cool appliances and how they had a bedroom uh, for themselves and their kids would have a bedroom and all this stuff. Right. Like there were some teams that like really went out of their way to make the positive PR impact as big as possible. And some teams just kind of and, – and the reason that I think it was an active thing is because there are players for other teams who didn't say a damn thing. And I wonder if that was because the accommodations were worse, that they didn't merit mention. That is a real possibility given these loopholes. Or if it was that some players were encouraged because with these baseball teams, you always have to imagine that they're always leaning on their on their minor leaguers in particular. They're certainly petty enough to do that. To, to say, hey, you know, we did do the solid by, by getting you some really nice, could you please just essentially rate and review the accommodations you've received? You know, can you, can you please be a Yelper for a second here so that we look good? And to their credit, uh, I guess, a lot, of those, a lot of those houses or apartments or whatever did look really nice. And it's worth shouting out that some teams took it really seriously and cared enough about their minor leaguers to say, no, you know what? If we're going to do this, we're going to do this right. Because I do know a number of people involved in front offices who were given this responsibility and wanted to take it really seriously. They wanted to give minor leaguers the best possible living situations and so on. So they're not all, you know, McKinseyites, but I also know that there were some teams that basically just blew it off and, and didn't want to deal with it. And I think this is the kind of thing where you have to put you have to put the right people in charge and you have to put a lot of effort into doing it correctly. Because otherwise you haven't really changed the situation with all of these built in loopholes. Um which you can definitely guess more and more teams are gonna exploit in the coming years. Right. It- the way it's written sort of uh, reminds me of uh, wealth or block grants for welfare, how that's applied in across the United States. States are given a certain amount of funding for welfare programs and more or less left up to their own devices as to how they're going to spend that money. And as we've seen in recent news stories out of Mississippi, some of that money goes towards uh, Brett Favre's children's school and a lot of it doesn't end up in the hands of people who ostensibly should be receiving welfare benefits. Similarly, this program gives, uh, or this policy by Major League Baseball gives uh, teams, quote, flexibility to, you know, determine housing situations as they see fit, provided that, you know, every player is in the end accounted or accommodated for and 
some fashion. Uh, as noted, that might be a hotel room. That might be living with a roommate. At any rate, something in the process of researching for this episode, I uh, came across uh, an article on CBS Sports from 2020, which notes that uh, minor league baseball players that year were being given a pay bump uh, and a fairly significant pay bump of 38%, which still amounted to very small salaries at the end of the day. Um, it notes that, uh, quote, rookie and short season players will make $400 a week instead of 290 Class A will make 500 a week instead of 290 Double A will make 600 a week instead of 350 And Triple A will make 700 a week instead of 502 And note that that only accounts for the actual season itself. Uh, spring training has another set of rules. The offseason, you aren't getting paid at all. So uh, that amounts to $14,000 a year for AAA players is the figure given in this article. But the article also notes something interesting that I hadn't considered before, which is um, the official baseball video game of Major League Baseball, MLB The Show, includes minor league players' likenesses doesn't have to pay them for it. Um, this is an issue that um, famously has come up in college sports over the last decade. But I was n- unaware that the players in uh, the minor league players in this major league baseball video game were effectively um, uncompensated for the use of their name, image, and likeness. Just sort of stood out to me as another example of the ways in which these players are being exploited. Yep. And in particular, within the the subset of minor leaguers, you've also got the fact that, as we've talked before, uh, and Dirk Hayhurst mentions this, as a white American dude, even within minor leaguers, he he had certain advantages that some of his teammates didn't. He spoke English. He was from the United States. He had family links within the United States. Um, he talks about in the article something that really struck me. This uh, this this might be particular, uh, uh, may have particularly hit me hard because of, of things that are currently happening elsewhere in the Caribbean. But he mentions, I think that I think his shortstop in one of his uh, uh, teams that he was on, his wife had their second child in the Dominican Republic, and he couldn't afford to buy the plane ticket to go see that. So they they to go meet his kid. So they all had to pool their money together in a hat. And these guys who are not getting paid enough money, you would think the least a double A team could do. I think that's what it was at. Could have just ponied up the money for one 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 plane ticket. Um, but you also know that that team would have said, well, if I let you do this, I have to let everybody else do it, and and that would have been the excuse. There's just no. Now, I do know that some things have changed in that regard. I know this was a very interesting part of the lockout ending deal for me. If a player requested classes in either English or Spanish by, I think it was April 22nd or something, that it was like three weeks into the season, the team had to provide them at its out of its own pocket. The, the team had to pay for those classes. Uh, I don't like that a player would have to request it. Like, that should have just been a budget line item. But... It's still, that's the kind of quality of life improvements that the union was focusing on getting. And I do think that if they focus on that kind of stuff going forward, like the pay and so on, necessary, absolutely. But I think where they could make their biggest impact is on quality of life issues like that. If they can tighten the regulatory vise on the teams and say, no, you actually don't get away with using host families for this. No, actually, you can't just use a hotel room as you see fit. You know, you have to have these accommodations and so on. If they can tighten that, then adding the minor league players, it's already one of the biggest labor changes it, it, in baseball history. It might end up being the single biggest change in sports labor history because it would create a new model for a developmental league, which, you know, minor league hockey exists. There's the G League and the NBA and the Summer League, which is kind of different. And then uh, uh, football keeps trying to essentially have these like weirdo AAF or XFL or USFL or whatever the hell they're called now uh, that basically function as developmental leagues with higher risk of bankruptcy. That would create a new model 
for those going forward. It would create expectations. And just like every other league wants to have that antitrust exemption that MLB has, they could be forced to compete with it by offering the same kind of, of labor situation that MLB would have with its minor leagues. Another issue that has come up in recent years is the um, question of whether minor league baseball players are entitled to minimum wage pay, um, which was the subject of a lawsuit. Uh, There were reports a few years ago that MLB was lobbying Congress to uh, exempt minor league baseball players from minimum wage requirements. Um, And I found this article from... uh, back in July of this year uh, in which they settled a lawsuit with minor league baseball players over these allegations that the salary and overtime requirements just weren't adding up uh, to the tune of $185 million. Major league baseball uh, agreed to pay players um, who met certain requirements and only who had played since 2009 effectively uh, for, you know, back pay going to quote from the article here under the settlement MLB will quote rescind any contractual prohibitions against MLB clubs paying minor league players wages per the court filing clubs had previously been prohibited from paying minor league players during spring training and instructional leagues. So it's not just that these teams weren't paying. It's that MLB wasn't allowing them to pay for spring training. It was just a wild state of affairs. That's cuckoo bananas, in my opinion. Uh, like, how, how do you think that's even remotely legal or, or okay or ethical or moral or anything? Um, I'm sorry. Are we talking about the ethics of Rob Manfred? <laughs> that's the shortest book in human history right there. <laughs> Punching out Genius Award winner Rob Manfred. That's right. That's yes. right. Forgot about that. I guess that is the, exactly the kind of uh, behavior you would expect from a, a genius winner. Uh, earlier, I think I may have painted too sharp a picture of you know just how suddenly this unionization had come about. You know, these issues were in the air and in the media over the past few years. They were not. This stuff was going on in the background. If you know. You might not have seen it on Yankee broadcasts or ESPN's coverage, but it was there happening. And so in in that sense, it's always seems inevitable that unionization or something like it was going to come about. I I know that you're using Yankees broadcasts as a synecdoche for like official team games or stuff like that. But I do like the idea that the other 29 teams were talking about it and it was just the Yankees who refused to mention it. Well, I believe it. You know, if the shoe fits. <laughs> yes. Um, the thing about it is, you know, you hear complaints about analytics nerds taking over front offices and so on. And it, I'm not disagreeing. Those are all true. But part of the reason is that they, the kind of person that baseball teams are hiring, even now, because full disclosure, I have looked at jobs with various teams uh, and God for, God help me, uh, MLB itself. The kind of person they're still hiring, even now, tends to be someone uh, they're looking for young, they're looking for business degrees, they're looking for economics degrees, and they're not looking for, frankly, a whole lot of soul. They're looking for people who are there to treat players as numbers on a spreadsheet. And when you do that over several years, and this is every team, I'm sorry, but they're all looking for this person. When you have years of that being replicated as a culture, what you end up with is teams trying to take such advantage of their players that the pendulum eventually just has to swing back the other way. Because even if you're the kind of person who really does think that the minor leagues are a deserved grind so that you can make it to the show, and if you can't put up with it, then you can't take it. Then even then, you still kind of hate the McKinseyite dude who gets to work in air conditioning all day and just puts numbers into Excel and pretends that, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's a real job. So it, they're just going to start getting it from everywhere. And I think that's a big positive development. Um, not uh, in, in, I'm sorry that it took so long for it to happen. 
and that the values that I think the people that the people in this broadcast hold that they have permeated throughout more and more of baseball fandom. I think that's a big deal, but I think it also reflects a recognition that we're all kind of equally screwed unless we're one of the very few people who's getting anywhere close to fairly compensated for their labor, regardless of whether what you do for a living is you play baseball or you drive a truck or you pick fruit or, I mean, actually if you pick fruit, you're even more screwed than most of us. Um, or you, um, you know, you, 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 you work at a hospital or whatever, most of us are all in the same pit together. And I think that realization is why you see a lot less complaining about this. You still do because Americans are terrible about recognizing abuses of other workers, particularly when they have to know their names for, you know, fantasy baseball, but you see less of it than I thought you would. So with mounting regret and horror, I guess I have to hand it to an increasing segment of the American people. We did it. Um, We should take a break here. And then when we come back, we can get into positivity and, you know, the the joy of, you know, what could come from all this. Yeah. We'll be back. You're listening to punching out on Wayo 104.3. You can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast apps. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Still hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. We spent the first couple segments of today's show talking about uh, minor league baseball players' recent decision to unionize and the various factors that led up to that decision, um, detailing their poor wages and shoddy living conditions and any number of reasons why you know it was time for collective action. But uh, as I mentioned at the start of the show, it nevertheless is sort of stunning how quickly it all came about because... Minor league baseball players, as of a couple weeks ago, had um, filed cards uh, signaling their support for unionization. I, they had majority support. I don't remember the exact tally, but I think it was something on the order of two thirds of minor league baseball players had signed those union cards. And a week later, MLB voluntarily chose to recognize that as unionization. Um, as if you're a longtime listener of Punching Out, you know that. That's they didn't have to do that. They could have dragged out the process, forced an official NORB election, and stood in the way of that election at every turn, as we've seen from Starbucks and Amazon and virtually every other employer, really, when it comes to a unionization. So for MOB to accept this whole new swath of players, a larger group of players than major league players, into the bargaining uh, group that includes the major league players, the MLBPA now kind of surprising, especially given what we know about Rob Manfred. Um, Why do we think that is, you know, what, what's going on here? Lou has a theory. It's in honor of the queen. That's right. Okay. Famously famous labor supporter, Elizabeth, the second famous friend of the miners. Absolutely. (laughs) In all seriousness, um, what's weird is, from what I hear, when Manfred was Bud Selig's handpicked successor, a number of owners voted against his election as commissioner because they thought he would be too player-friendly. And once he became commissioner, he very quickly set about disabusing them of that notion. But, you know, if, if he turns out to have been a deep-cover labor organizer this whole time, that would be hilarious. Incredibly it would suck incredible. because, yeah, it, it would still suck because you still have to abuse all of those players to create those conditions. But hey, respect for the bit, question mark. But the real reason, I do think Lou is correct that it has to do with trying to avoid a labor dispute during postseason play. I do think it was a really smart move by the PA to force this issue right, to give it enough time that if they did have to put in more effort 
into getting more cards signed and all of that. They could take a month or two to push for that. And I think the other thing is, frankly, I mean, with two-thirds of your bargaining unit signing those cards, if you're going to force an election, chances are pretty good you're going to lose it, and then you're going to look terrible. And we all know that in sports, ball don't lie. If you if you lose that election, it doesn't matter what you say after that. You're you lost. I think uh, Amazon might quibble with the idea that there's nothing you can do after losing an election, but um... but I mean the big the big difference between or one of the many big differences between Amazon and Starbucks unionizing and the MLBPA is the MLBPA is an established union. They have power and resources. They are not creating them from whole cloth like the Amazon union are, is. And, and I'm pretty sure Starbucks union did as well. Moreover, like each Starbucks union is 12 workers and, and a store's worth of people, not thousands and thousands of workers. Joining with the MLBPA was the smartest thing that minor leaguers could have done, to be honest. Announcing it in September, uh, right before postseason, uh, it was honestly brilliant on their part. And the only thing that I'm now interested in is honestly what's going to happen. So unionizing the miners, what does that actually mean? Is it going to result in significantly better pay? And if it does, at what costs? Are they going to shrink the miners even more? Are they going to uh, drop roster sizes? Are they going to... There is going to be some cost to this. This is not going to be a 100% win for minor leaguers. The, it really is just a question of how the league is going to reap that cost. Yeah, what, what they're probably going to want to do, my guess would be, because they've already started doing this, ever since unionizing the minors and minor league abuses became more of a, um, of a topic that you could actually talk about, basically. Uh, both among regular people and in baseball media, except for Yankees broadcasts, as we discussed already. The what you what you saw is that they shunted a bunch of these issues off to things like independent leagues, collegiate leagues, and so on. So they could still have leagues where players are paid nothing or very little, in case almost like a safety valve, in case the miners ever recapture their rights as workers, then they would always have some place to put all those other players. And my guess would be that there will be talk of some minor league contraction. There may even, they may even try to push for a salary cap again. I don't know how likely they are to succeed there, but I know that that's the big thing owners want, especially now that they're all mad that they have to share a room with Steve, with Steve Cohen of the Mets. You know, they already tried to punish him by by installing a fourth level of luxury tax. They, you might call it the penthouse of the luxury tax system. They could do anything, but chances are pretty good. What they're going to say is, fine, we'll pay you more. But in exchange, we either want fewer players in the minors altogether, or we would like to take some of these problems that are currently in the minors and push them out to other leagues. Because of the antitrust exemption, they can do that anytime Rob Manfred wants to make some weird weird rule change like, I don't know, requiring bat boys to walk out on stilts or uh, forcing the pitcher to throw with it with their non-dominant hand or whatever the hell should excite fans now or playing banana ball. Anytime they want, he wants to do any of that, all he has to do is call up the Atlantic League and say, hey, you're doing this now. And they can't say no. So... You know, they have a way to get around all of these things if the miners say, you're not making any more unilateral rule changes. By the way, speaking of, those changes that happened that were recently voted on, that was that committee's not even supposed to start meeting until next season. It was supposed to start meeting in 2023. So the shift ban, uh, the pitch clock, and all of that shouldn't even have been a thing for another season. So they, they're already doing an end run around the rules that they agreed to from the get-go. Uh, that's something that the PA is going to have to be very vigilant with and decide how much they want to fight it. So there you are. I also think it's worth noting that they did just have that lockout six months ago now. Um, I, I think to some extent there's 
no appetite for another big labor fight in baseball at the moment. Uh, and MLB owners may have been more conciliatory in this moment than at other times when it comes to allowing minor league players to join the union. I also think cynically that this would not be the first union to have divisions within its ranks. Um, MLB owners may feel that in creating this new larger chunk of the bargaining unit that is not making the sort of money that Bryce Harper is making, they might end up saving money by winding up with deals that are better for minor leaguers, but don't result in MLB owners having to show out the $100 billion contracts where the big money is spent. You know, they'll happily spend, you know, a thousand dollars more on a thousand players if it saves them $30 million on one player. Having said all that, this is still really good news and I think we shouldn't hesitate to celebrate it. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing, honestly, in the long run, nothing bad happens when you have solidarity. And if we can uh, forge better and stronger solidarity between minor league or minor league and major league players that can only be good for the sport as a whole. I, I, I think in the long run, having minor league baseball players as part of the union is going to be good for the sustainability of the sport because those minor leaguers are the future of the sport at, at any given time. You know, that's always where up and coming talent is coming through you know, if you want that talent to come about, the uh, Manny Machados and um, I'm trying to think of a player who isn't Fernando Tatis Jr., who was just recently suspended. But, um, you know, George Springer, what have you. Those guys are coming through the minors and you don't want to deter them before they can. And you can only we, are you trying to turn this into just remembering some guys? <laughs> Those are guys who are good, you know, active. Stars. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of good ones. I'm blanking on all of them, and I'm not going to name a Yankee. Oh, of course That's not. right. Yeah. That yeah. and that, we are united. Absolutely. Uh, we... The important... Yes, I, I think that is absolutely correct. The important part here is that the people who are doing the job are going to get to determine more of what that job looks like. And it may be true that in the end, there are divisions between the minor and major league units on this, but those are going to be hashed out within the union, hopefully, before that is presented. And, you know, maybe that's a good thing for everybody. I'm not saying that baseball players at the top end, I'm not saying that you're, um, well, I guess I almost did mention a Yankee, a certain <clears throat> spider tech merchant on the Yankees. Made, I'm not saying that he's overpaid. But what I am saying is that maybe it's a good thing for him to confront a minor leaguer who has been making $14,000 a year for the past several years. Because I know where that spider tech merchant went to school, and I know what you know his family life was like, and I know that he probably had a very different experience in the minors than somebody coming out of the Dominican Republic or Cuba. And it might be worth having those discussions when those contradictions are as, shall we say, heightened as possible where they can have a productive discourse about what does a good future for both of us look like? Does it mean that one of us has to sacrifice for the other person to uh, do better within the business of baseball? I don't think it does. Every owner has the money to pay all of their players fairly. Every single one of them. A hundred percent. But if they want to make that decision, they can make it together as comrades, as people in the same union. And that matters more than anything. Here, here. Um, we're running out of time for today's show, but uh, for this week, I'm Ryan. I'm Lou. I was Noah. And this was Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. 
Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.